Welcome to the Young and Dangerous Show. Today we have uh, WeTech with us. Well, WeTech is currently the CEO of uh, Tamasic Management Services as well as uh, Trusted Services and Deep Identity. We'll get him to explain a little bit more of what these companies do. But WeTech has uh, this uh, amazing, illustrious career over 20 years in the IT industry uh, in Singapore. He's a uh, one of these guys that has just such a wide range of experiences and interests that I think is going to be awesome to share with you uh, during this episode. So um, without uh, going too too much longer into things that I do not know, why not we get we take to do a short bio and introduce to us who he is and what he's about. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here in your show. I think it's so interesting to share what's happening in Singapore technology and, you know, maybe share some of my experience. Uh, and in short, I always think of myself as a, uh, a teacher, actually, surprisingly, although I'm in the IT business for many, many years. I uh, was a consultant working in Accenture for uh, t- you know, close to 20 years. Uh, was a PwC part- technology partner for about three years. Worked in UOB as a head of wholesale IT uh, for about close to three years as well. And now I'm running, uh, you know, three companies. But primarily my role is with uh, Trusted Services. Uh, under Tamasi Management Services, uh, it, it is uh, actually something that, uh, you know, uh, run business services. We used to have services like technology, uh, COSEC, I, uh, HR, finance, events, and so on under TMS or Tamasi Management Services. But today, I spend a lot of time thinking about growth and thinking about how uh, to create jobs and to create sustainable, interesting career for uh, the people that I have. I have about 170-ish people, uh, most of them in Singapore, a few, uh, about 30 or so in Chennai, India, where our offshore centre is, and we have about 10 in the uh, Philippines. So, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's not about technology or anything. It's about growth. It's about creating jobs and interesting, uh, sustainable career for our staff and uh, people who choose their career with us. I will just quickly just add to that. Um, we take is also a, a visual artist. So once yeah. again, he is a man of many talents. He's also an author. He wrote the book uh, Adult Learning Architecture. Uh, we will jump into that a little bit more later in the show. He was also the adjunct uh, uh, associate professor, yeah. professor right. at NUS for five years. Yeah. Uh, you were teaching uh, software architecture. Software architecture, yeah. very interesting. So as you can tell, this guy has been there, has done that, and he has so many lessons to yeah. that we can try to tap tap on. Well, maybe you share uh, the the all the nonsense. I call it nonsense. Uh, are part of what enriches one's life, isn't it? I mean. Uh, you have your day job in court, and then uh, on the side, uh, if you want to be creative, you have to think about uh, you know either visual arts, playing the piano, or maybe photography, or uh, you know things that are not your everyday work nine to five type stuff. So I chose visual art in twenty twelve. I took a year of work. I had a, a sabbatical, if you like, mid career. <laughs> uh, after twenty years, I pat myself on the back and I took a year of work, and I decided hmm, I'll be a visual artist for a year, and that enriched my life in. So incredible. I got so many friends today that I can call anywhere in the world uh, with all the links on my Instagram, my Facebook. I pretty much can land in most major city and now have friends coming out to sketch and paint with me. So that really enriched my life. I, I, uh, I can't you know, ha- recommend it enough, actually. Yeah, so we'll, we'll dive into your, <laughs> your double life as a visual artist in a little bit later. Sure. But so let's bring our conversation back to technology. Sure. And because you have this very... Uh, 
deep history being in the industry, not just like a five, ten year. You were in there for like twenty years. Almost right 30 now, yeah. You started your life as a consultant in uh, Accenture. I was right? a programmer actually. Oh programmer, sorry. Yeah, yeah. For so first five years I was yeah, programming. Programming like actually in the weeds, yeah. you know, doing the technology and then you've seen this space evolve in yeah. the last twenty years and now as a as a CEO of a very important uh, backbone <laughs> company <laughs> for our our country. You know, I, I would like to get a bit of flavor on maybe a quick uh, kind of breakdown on, on what you've seen come yeah. and go and where are we now in this whole grand yeah. scheme of things. Very, very complex question, clearly, right? Number one, I would say that uh, the speed of change is speeding up. So it is the accelerating change is here to stay. And that's scary because when I was growing up as a programmer, I would read books like, uh, you know, Bible on C++, you know, those books that you get on, you know, you could find it in, in the bookshop, uh, or you read blogs, right? Because those days, there's no YouTube, right? This is, we're talking about 20 plus years ago. And uh, you see today, if you want to learn something, you don't learn it and then you code it. You actually decide that you're going to do some coding and then you go to YouTube, you go to some of the online training courses and you get it just in time and you get the skills you need and you code it. Because the algorithm don't change, but the methods and technique and the language would have changed, right? Uh, so technology is actually accelerating. And the brands that we used to say, see like BlackBerry and Nokia, and they all get massive disruption. So the closer you are to technology, the faster you spin, unfortunately, right? Uh, so that's number one. We're seeing the speed of our technology. And I think Singapore is trying to catch up to that game. We used to do very well with all our technology investment. But I think we're still doing reasonably okay, but I think that it could be much improved uh, approach to how we look at technology. Uh, you know, because a lot of other countries are also looking at it and some of them are doing really, really well, right? So the, the second thing is that we see a move from traditional brick and mortar to movement or data. We just talked about it. Data is a new oil cliche, but the reality is that it's just not just data. It's how you harness the power of data. So we see in AI, we see it in the way next action in marketing and it's amazing how YouTube uses data to drive the uh, viewership of YouTube itself. So data is the essence of business. That's how you're going to harness and build. And, you know, all the debate with Facebook and Google about news is all about data at, at the end of the day, right? It's not about brain water anymore. So data, uh, change or uh, accelerating change, data. And the third one I would say is like customer experience. It's everything now, right? Um, when we were growing up, we actually don't really design for customer experience. We design a system that works internally. We shove it down the customer's throat. Whatever it works, work doesn't work. You know, we deal with the complaints, right? But with customer experience today, it's everything. We were just talking about it just now, like uh, Apple's Watch version 1. Well, it wasn't really, really good. Version 6, whatever, it's conquering the world, right? So if you are able to take data, you harness the power of what you get from the data and you act on it, the second version would be twice better. The third version would be four times better and it's exponentially better each time. And your competitors can't keep up because the data that you're harnessing is just amazing. I yeah. think this boils down to the speed of the iterative loops that all these technology Correct. firms are running around in the world right now. Absolutely. Right? There's that, uh, the ODA loop, right? Observe, yeah, orient, right. Uh, decide, and it act. It came from military, but yes, yeah. I, absolutely. That's the, and it's yeah. flying faster and faster, faster and faster. So I always tell organizations that I work with that the, the essence is not to build the technology. It's not like I need an app or a platform and that's it. No, it's actually looking at your organization and see how you're organized in order to take advantage of this ODA loop. If you cannot repeat the loop 
across all your product lines and services, you have no chance of competing with a global best player. I mean, you look at a Chinese company, that's how they operate. They take data, they operate, not because they just want to take the data and do something. It's understanding how it creates new product. And that loop is a constant loop, right? And, yeah. and focusing on this, I think you wrote on one of your articles on LinkedIn, software is hard. Yeah. It's like these Chinese companies that are running their code refactoring. Uh, yeah. Code refactoring for those who are not in the industry just kind of means being willing to tear everything apart and then yeah, rebuild. rebuild, right? Yeah. So it's a massive undertaking, right? right? And they are willing to do it on a, what, a 12-month schedule, yeah. whereas usual companies are running like an 18, 24-month or cycle, even or even longer, right? right? And then it just shows there is no space for people yeah. to just just sit on their comfortable, yeah. you know, where they are at right now because someone's coming for your yeah. lunch fast. Correct. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. Actually, one is that we used to protect our IP and we think IP protection is like paramount and so on. Actually, it's less important in my mind because if you know how to build a software, you can build it a hundred ways. So it's very hard to protect IP when you can build something and you know how to build something in a hundred ways, right? You can protect the route to get to that IP. One, two, three. It costs a lot of money to protect an IP, right? So my view is if you know how to build something and the next iteration, you can improve the code and you can improve the code after about four or five, your code gets tangle up and becomes messy. But if you know how to build the next version, you can demolish all your code and can you rebuild. Because the tools today to rebuild code is actually very straightforward and much easier. And if you know how to architect it cleanly, then you don't really need to have your old code anymore. You just go ahead and build some stuff like new one. It's like Apple actually. That's let's, what Apple does. Let's, let's dive into you. Ha- you have this fantastic analogy of uh, software architecture, yeah. and, uh, I, and once again, it's in that article. Software is hard as well, yeah. right? You're comparing it with uh, people yeah. building a pyramid. Maybe yeah, you can I, I, d- d- that's an excellent, uh, you know, uh, segue. I, I have this fundamental view of the world that looks at how humanity has built buildings. You think about Marina Bay Sands, right? I suppose when that was conceptualized. Uh, and uh, someone was sitting with the architect, they could punch in using the building you know, software. It would tell you how many bricks, how long it would take, how much it would cost, you know, projecting for changes to the brick and sand costs and whatever it is, right? Uh, labor costs. They could pretty much well tell based on the material engineering of the day how high you can go and how big and how wide and what, all that stuff. Well, fundamentally, it's because we have been building buildings for 6,000 years. You think pyramid, right? 6,000 years of history we have. Uh, architects, we have uh, you know BCA to control our building codes. We have uh, brick layers. We have uh, you know uh, urban planners. Uh, all these roles are regulated, regimented, and it has a very specific space and all that. But you think about technology, right? How many years have humanity been building application? Sixty. Mm-hmm. Okay, think Alan Turing's seminal paper, right? Fifty. So sixty, seventy years. You're talking about two magnitude, two zeros, right? 60 versus 6,000, right? So the technology itself, we are not uh, having a structure to support complex code building. That's why a lot of applications fail. Because if you ask me, how do you estimate this super software that one platform I want to build, right? Um, actually, estimating software is extremely hard because we have never done it before. If you, have, if you are building a software that has been done before, you just copy and paste. But each software is built because it's never been built before. So how do you estimate something you have never done before? It's like landing a rover in Mars, right? <laughs> Every estimate is different. So you've got to use a bit of creativity, a bit of arts, a bit of uh, science, and all those thrown in and go figure out, right? 
so you know that's the complexity of technology today because we don't have roles like the building code. So when someone say I'm a, a database architect, that's an oxymoron. Because an architect is somebody who knows a little bit of everything and ties it up in an aesthetically beautiful way. That's what an architect does, right? Enough of everything. But when you call yourself a database architect, that's an oxymoron because it, it doesn't, to me, that doesn't make sense. You are a database engineer, I understand, because that deep dive into engineering of database or network or, you know. But if you are an architect, you know about everything in order for you to build a wonderful platform or software architecture. And to me, someone who is building a software must understand psychology because it's the person using it that you're designing for. It's the organization understanding because it's about understanding how organizations are using the software to be efficient and effective in what they're trying to do. And actually, that person needs to be more broader than just engineering, right? So uh, I think we don't have this role called architects today. It, at least that's not taught in university. It's not taught anywhere. Uh, it is on the job training by a lot of software architect that was formed but even that to me software architect is also an oxymoron because an architect is much wider than just uh, you know uh, uh, software because it's about life it's about building something for the organization you, you call it an oxymoron but I noticed that the topic you were teaching at NUS mm. was called software architecture yeah, exactly. so th- what uh, was that about well, actually uh, it shouldn't be called software architecture right? but, well at least uh, the architecture in that sense is actually very narrow uh, so it was all about uh, how somebody would take a step back and build software, all right? So it should be engineering. Right? Okay. It's more so of an engineering perspective engineering. rather than... Uh, okay, I get it. You're, you're trying to say architecture is like, you know, building a, a, a house, right? right. You, you, you really got to think about not just the engineering aspect of making sure the house stands straight and yeah. it will last a long time, but more of how the person will then live in the house, yeah. how the person will enjoy the, you increase the quality of life, the That's utility, right. the, right. take into account the surrounding factors, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Correct. So in, in your sense, architecture is uh, a, a much broader and bigger yeah. scope. Right. And I think I want to, also point uh, back to one of uh, maybe this was in our previous uh, conversation of uh, this podcast but you were saying something about maybe it has uh, to tie in with the work that you used to do on getting organizations to kind of uh, uh, restructure or adopt you're thinking of building applications and getting the organizations to uh, uh, adopt them to your your application is also designed to build the, the organization as well yeah so i might be I'll messing it up okay a so bit, maybe i'll break it down a little bit yeah. so um you see organization was formed based on the processes and technology built of legacy yeah right so political lines in organization are divided because it was expedient to have hr running hr finance running finance and the two don't talk yeah right? But in today's world, HR and finance really has to intermingle. Because if you, for example, if you're an SME or you run a you know, small, medium enterprise and so on, you don't have the luxury of a complex software like SAP that ties up everything for you nicely. You do need to make sure that HR and finance are talking to each other. For example, for you to know the P&L of a project, let's say you have 100 projects going on, for each P&L, you must know the allocation of time. Some of your staff may be allocating five hours on project one, 10 hours on project two, and so on and so forth. In order for you to know your P&L for each of these projects, you must account for your time. Now, time today, most organizations will be under HR. But finance, in order to know have, uh, project financing, they need to have a very clear understanding of how your resources are being divvied up and spent into the various projects in order to have this thing called project financing. 
So we're seeing the integration of corporate data, and I'm just giving two examples, HR and finance, you can think about all the other aspects of operations. If you're in logistic or in whatever you are in, you need to have an integrated whole of all your data so that it gives you an integrated whole for you as a management to understand profitability and how you drive growth, right? So we are seeing this problem where data are siloed because of legacy, but in the future, I see everything needs to be integrated so that we become more holistic and effective in the way we manage our data. And data drives growth, as we know. Yeah. So what would you say for um, the state of Singapore in this, in this kind of thing relative to what you're seeing in global and best-in-class kind of thing? Where do you think majority of the Singapore companies are at? And where is the biggest gap that you see? I, I think we are still coming out of uh, thinking about SAP implementation, ERP, right? We are at the tail end where, sorry to my SAP friends, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not disservice. They, they still have a, you know uh, advantage of running very large uh, SAP system and so on, right? But I'm saying the thinking now needs to shift to closer to customer experience, closer to data, closer to how the data has been used in a, you know, uh, for business and how they are driven at the market itself, right? ERP is actually just the hygiene factor, if you like. You need to get it right. Or the core needs to get right. Uh, for Singapore, I see we are just coming off that tail end of people waking up to the fact that we are now need, needing to think about customer experience, data, and so on. I, I see very large organizations starting to shift that. But they are still, you know, in the midst of trying to wrap up their ERP implementation or they are trying to wrap up some of their legacy issues uh, and so on and so forth. So there's this transition. We are in, actually in a transition period for sure. That is how I would describe it. Uh, for our SME, the small one is the same thing. I, I see a lot of them are struggling with, uh, you know, uh, technology. They look at technology and there's a fear in their face, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, this is... But it shouldn't be because the word technology should be embedded into everything we do. And I think it's getting clearer that uh, you can't avoid it, right? Ten years ago... I remember when I was trying to pitch uh, iPad as a solution for front-end, maybe a bit too early, right? 2011, those were just early years uh, where iPad just came out and you know to pitch that, people were like scratching their head, what, what, what is WeTake talking about? But I think today we all recognize that that's it, it's here, right? iPhone has damaged... Uh, In Singapore, every single uh, yeah. cafe and whatever is now your yeah, scan QR iPad or ring system, right? Correct. We were just talking about that two years ago where we were complaining that China is ahead of us. Well, look at where Singapore is. We have moved on, right? And I think the government has done a su- superb job in pushing the agenda, uh, in getting awareness into the you know the smaller players and so on. Because you need everybody to move, otherwise the system doesn't work. Um, so, for example, if someone is holding uh, you know a virtual payment and he's getting virtual payment from the client, but if he has to pay a pay a supplier cash, then he's stuck because the system is not moving for him, right? Uh, let's say he's uh, selling uh, me goreng, right? <laughs> and uh, he's paying his supplier of me cash, and then he's getting virtual cash from uh, his, uh, you know, uh, customer. Then his cash flow is going to be a problem after a while because you know there's a thirty days, and then there's cash out. Hey, who's going to pay for the cash flow? Or, you know, so the whole system has to move in tandem. Otherwise, no one's going to move because of this cash issue, right? So I think we're getting there. We are getting into a stage where digital is now embedded into everything we do. Uh, I still have taxi play that doesn't take, uh, you know, but most by large today kind of move on to that level. So I think we're getting there. Society, I think we will move to the, you know, it's always when, it's almost like a network effect, right? Right. Like COVID kind of forced a a change into everyone. And once the adoption rate got high enough, 
everybody then had to adopt it. Correct. So let me ask you a question, like based on what 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 would you say to the CEO of a of a sizable uh, company on how he should be thinking about the IT and technology implementation uh, implementation now looking ahead with what you're seeing now? Yeah, I think um, I'll just uh, looking at the te- state of technology, right? Uh, to turn on emails, for example, 20 years ago was a nightmarish. If you have ever been an email administrator, you know, you get complaints, you deal with all those issues, you know, running your own server and it can anything can be wrong from network to application issues to, you know, user uh, problems and so on and so forth, right? But today, you just swipe your credit card and voila, right? You can have your choice, right? O365 or Gmail or whatever it is. And uh, you can run a million employee scheme, you know, without breaking a sweat. Uh, you don't have to worry about bandwidth. You don't have to worry about functionality. You want to change logo, it's done the next minute. Easy, right? Uh, if you need some basic services, you go to Fiverr, you pay some few hundred dollars, things are done, right? So the state of technology, although it's been very fast and it's bad for some businesses, but it's been tremendous uh, boost to productivity for all the other sort of uh, people that rely on technology to operate. So I would say to the CEO, I say you got to rethink technology and how it benefits you and how what differentiation that you give you. I like to say localization is the new globalization. Twenty years ago, everybody tried to develop uh, based on let's say a standard, you know, global structure. Today, you got to think about localization. What localization will give you an edge, right? Uh, you can apply let's say a global uh, HR system. But if it doesn't calculate CPF, then you need two systems, right? But if you go for a local system that is almost world-class, 90% or 80%, and it does CPF, well, maybe that's the one you need to consider, right? So again, buy local, <laughs> you know, because it has got integration to Accra or the local banks or maybe it has SingPass. We're about to launch a new product that basically will differentiate itself by having SingPass. So you can sign documents with SingPass as opposed to sign it with, you know, a global standard. Well, what's global standard? After all, our credential is safely kept by government, so we must well use it. It's a service that, you know, GovTech, uh, thank you very much, GovTech, <laughs> for providing that, and we leverage on that, and we can launch product based on that. That's what I mean by localization. So think localization, think differentiated services, and think efficiency, not just for your customer, actually your employee as well, because the experience your customer get is actually what is able to be produced by your employee and your employees serving up those services, right? So think more holistically from employee to um, uh, customer rather than just employee I, or I think, customer. I think that's, that's a great, great view on things. Uh, I also totally agree on the fact that I, I, this is a trend I noticed myself, right? I think 10 years ago where enterprise tools are like, you know, they don't yeah. care about UI, UX. It's yeah. the most, you know, it's you, you spend hours trying to yeah. dive into layers after layers of command trying to figure things out. And then you have this new generation of software, right? CRM like HubSpot, yeah. Zoho, that kind, which kind of, they really polish it where even though it's like a back-end software, it is now easy to use. They yeah. remove the friction and stuff like that. And then it is, uh, uh, it, it then speeds up the adoption rate yeah. that your internally, your rank yeah. and file will, will be able to use. And then that really drives that productivity yeah. forward as well. Absolutely. So for the CEO, sorry, I was just going to mm. add that uh, it's all about developing the people ultimately. I think for me, even as a CEO of the company, I'm thinking about how I can develop my uh, you know, staff uh, to become more productive and they are willing to take on more responsibility through uh, continual improvement, right? Uh, and hence the reason why I wrote the book as well because I really think that, I actually think 
the 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 problem of the twenty first century it's about the ability to learn, right? Not just I know something, but the fact that I know how I am going to take the next step to learn the next thing, right? That is so much more important than you know something today, because what you know today is probably going to be obsolete tomorrow. And right? and this is a great great uh, segue to jump into. Your book, <laughs> Adult Learning Architecture. Yeah. So this book you mentioned about the five M's. Yeah. You 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 have a framework of learning, and well, this is once again the world is spinning faster and faster, yeah. and it doesn't look like it's going to be slowing down. So the art of learning fast will become a bigger and bigger competitive advantage because yeah. nobody, you know, I was hearing something on a different podcast this morning. Was saying like. Uh, especially in the crypto space, right? It's like even if you have a, uh, a PhD in crypto, it's probably obsolete by the right. day they give <laughs> give it to you, right? Yeah. So that's that's the rate things are iterating yeah. right now. Right. So let's talk about a little bit more yeah, on yeah. what drove you to wrote that book one, and I think it was based off your experience in uh, pursuing uh, visual art. Yeah, and then talk a little bit more on sure. the model itself. Yeah, so maybe I'll tell a little bit of story there. Uh, Twenty twelve was a year of uh, a break. So I decided uh, that I will take a year off work to f- find myself once again. <laughs> Midlife crisis, uh, you will. Uh, so the one year was spent, uh, I told my wife, okay, I'm going to learn something new, right? So on uh, 7th of January 2012, uh, a big box arrived at home. Uh, and I had 140 books, which I have went on Amazon. I looked at all the top reviews from color theory to watercolor to flower painting to oil to acrylic to composition to you name it. I kind of clicked on it and I shipped it. So I had 140 books arriving at home, uh, you know, January, I remember. My wife said, what the hmm is this? I'm like, uh, well, my new hobby, right? So, uh, But to uh, cut a long story short, I wanted to take the year to refine my uh, sort of uh, artistic side, if you like, because I, as an engineer... Uh, you know, I draw straight lines and everything I do is, uh, you know, stick man on the whiteboard. But uh, I thought, hmm, it'd be interesting to learn something new. And and I felt that I had a framework to learn something new fast. And I wanted to write a book about this, right? I kind of have a vague idea. It wasn't very specific. So I spent a year basically trying to be an artist. And so from January, I painted. So I painted from 8 to 6 every day, Monday to Friday, like a regimented, you know, I'm highly disciplined. So, <laughs> so by March, I was very frustrated because it was not getting anywhere. But I read all my books. I've done a bunch of online tutorial and all that stuff. There was a breakthrough around March. So uh, in May 12th, I had my first solo exhibition of 70 paintings. And this was after you, you started, you in were saying January. January and just six months. Yeah, but I painted like crazy. I had like wow. uh, almost 400 paintings by then. I picked 70 and I you know had a first solo exhibition then. I've had two others, so I have three since, uh, since then. I, I fell in love with painting. But the idea is that actually, um, uh, coming back to the framework, I discovered that actually... The, all this learning technique that I was reading, like uh, mind mapping, kinesthetic, you know, all this stuff was not really useful for me as an adult. Maybe as a kid, it kind of helped you to think about how you learn. But as an adult, how do I... Hmm, I found there were five things. And these five things are all strangely start with M. And they are strangely also have a A-E-I-O-U as a second letter. <laughs> so, uh, M-A for material. M-E for membership. M-I for mind. M-O for motivation, M-U for muscles. So I'll talk through very quickly each of these, right? I discovered actually motivation is the heart and soul of learning. If you're not motivated, you're not going to get very, very far. When you learn something or pick up a learning project, you got to ask yourself, why do I learn this thing, right? So I have a friend who wanted to learn Korean. I asked him, hmm, why? 
you know, you're Singaporean, why, why Korean? Well, because I want to watch Korean drama. I said, okay, your motivation is okay, but, you know, Korean drama for a guy, I'm not sure. Uh, then, so happened in about the same time, my another friend who told me, I want to learn Korean. I said, what's this about Korean, right? So oh, I have a Korean girlfriend. Oh, I said, your motivation is very, very high, right? So a few months passed, and then I went to talk to both of them, and the guy who had a Korean girlfriend said, I broke up. So Korean <laughs> motivation went from high to zero, right? Uh, but of course, the other guy kept at it, and he, today he actually speaks and kind of understand Korean very well because he really loved Korean drama. So I start with this, right? If your motivation is not right, forget it, right? But if you really know why you want to do something, your motivation will carry you through thick and thin through the desert when you're running marathon or through the Everest when you really want to climb that mountain. But that motivation is very clear. That's the fuel. Without the fuel, don't bother starting something if you're not sure. Right, if you want to learn something and just because it's casual and fun, it's not going to go anywhere, right? So that's number one. Number two, uh, when we say learn, in most Singaporean contexts, we think it's about picking up one book and then we read the one book and then that's fuel our mind and that's learn. Well, it's true to some way, but getting knowledge into our mind is just the generic concept. You can choose a book, you can talk to a mentor, you can pick up a network where you hang out with the like-minded people to learn from you know, investors or whatever it is. Mind, feeling the mind is not just reading a book, but feeling a mind is a generic concept that you need to continually upgrade what you know and know what you don't know. Be aware of, like this morning in our Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class, oh, we're yeah, just talking about that, right? Quick segue. Yeah. <laughs> that, that we, I, I got the mat we take through uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so you can add that. You know, we take is also a BJJ practitioner, martial artist. Uh, this I'm guy just, is just amazing. I'm just uh, trying. I, I'm way behind, but uh, that, that one, I, I really enjoy learning from you as well. So it's really fun. We learn from each other. <laughs> So the mind is actually the, the eye, right? Uh, very, very important. I say, you know, shortcut eye. Like, you know, you don't have to read a book. You can go to a mentor. The mentor will tell you the top three secrets. Hey, that cut short your learning. Whatever way to develop your mind. Then we come to material world. You want to learn how to cycle, you better get a nice Brompton or a nice track or a nice bike. Or, okay, I'm not a cyclist, clearly. A bike makes a difference. If you're a runner, your tool would be your clothes shoes. and your shoes. Uh, if you're a badminton player, clearly you know what it, you know, and so on. So for me, if, uh, because I'm uh, trying to go into art, artist, so brushes, pencil, pen, uh, painting materials like the watercolor, the paper, uh, easel, all these are very important. But more importantly is this idea of uh, setting things up so that it operates for you, right? Like I can see that your uh, podcast is all set up nicely. So in the same way, my YouTube and my painting desk is set up nicely. So when I go home, I want to paint. It doesn't take me more than five minutes to get started. Right? I can hack a YouTube video just like that. Removing friction. Removing mm. friction. Most people, when they want to do something, they, let's say they want to learn how to paint. So they go home at 6.37, they put up their easel, they take out their canvas, they set up their paint, they put their, you know, and then after about 30 minutes of setup, guess what? They need a drink and then it's the end of the day. They haven't even painted, yeah. right? So the material world, and it's not working for them, right? So think about the material world and how you organize it rather than they organize you. And so that's MA, right? So I talk about MA. Membership was a key, actually. When I wanted to learn how to, uh, you know, for example, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's about joining that social gang, right? Well, Papa Rich, and the gang that is part of, it's about being a, a social, you know, group, right? Uh, same with public speaking, same with artists, uh, you know, and so on, right? It's all about being a gang. Um, a gang that pushes you forward on a daily basis, encourage you. Uh, when you fall down, they know, they tell you, don't worry, we have all gone through it. you just another phase of development, right? So the membership is so important. If you don't design membership, you will be hanging out with people who don't care and they give you negativity or, or 
perceived negativity and that those vibes will eat on you, right? So material world, membership, mind, motivation, finally muscle. If I look at your calendar uh, and you say you want to go to learn BJJ, right? But I don't see any session in the whole week, not even one. So uh, the muscle is not being developed, right? So 10,000 hours, it must show up on your calendar and it must be repeat, right? So all my sessions for Evolve is all repeat, <laughs> on repeat because I know I'm going, right? Even if I'm not going, I'm looking at the calendar, I'm like, oh, I should be going. So I'm being forced in a way to plan in a very uh, uh, disciplined way around these five things. So as an adult, I realized that this is the model that you need to have. You take a step back, you look at, am I developing my material? Am I developing my membership? Am I developing my mind? What is my motivation to push me forward? And what's my muscle and my calendar that shows that my muscle is being developed? All these is what an adult can take a step back and evaluate and drive. That's my model, actually, in terms of learning. It's not kinesthetic, anesthetic, or mind mapping. Those are very mic- micro and tr- uh, tactical. That's right? like tactical. This yeah. is more, this is more uh, strategic you know, execution. Correct. Correct. And beyond this, actually, there are other things I talk about in my book. Uh, it's about simplicity. Ultimately, right, as a practitioner of a martial art, you actually don't, don't remember anything you've forgotten. So the stages are you don't know what you don't know, you know what you don't know, you know what you know, and then you forget what you know. That's the ultimate. Because when you walk, you don't think about which left, right feet you're walking. Uh, or when you're in a, you know, uh, sparring, you don't think about which hand, you, you are just sparring, right? It's you. So if you're a leader, you shouldn't be thinking about what should I be saying or what should I be doing. You lead because that's what you are. You have achieved the nirvana of learning. You arrive there and you say, I'm leading. Or, you know, you speak or whatever that you choose to do in your career. I think you ultimately need to get to mastery. And mastery to me is about forgetting. And not that you don't know, but you're forgetting that it's like walking, you're walking, you're cycling, you are leading, you are singing, whatever it is that you want to do, right? So that, to me, is the adult learning uh, architecture, in a way. I like the word architecture a lot. So. <laughs> and uh, in that sense, you are, you are the architect of your own learning and you decide what are the syllabus that you design, right? And that, to me, is actually very key. And we need these skills in every aspect of our life, and especially in 21st century when things are thrown at us at such speed. Uh, everyone needs to have the ability to take a step back and learn, design their own learning and move forward, without which we'll be stuck in the 20th century. Uh, I always love this quote from Bruce Lee. I'm not sure if you heard it right. Like, flowing water uh, never goes stale or something like that. Once again, I might be butchering the quote again, (laughs) but, you know, that's the thing. I think I absolutely agree with you. And this world that we're living in, like, being able to learn and relearn and more importantly, uh, uh, unlearn things that are not correct yeah. or has simply just expired yeah. because the world is changing yeah. faster and faster that it's if incredible. you don't have the ability to uh, unlearn and then relearn don't stick to old dogmas don't do things because it's been done a thousand yeah. times so guess what the thousand and one time might totally be different and you blown yourself out because you stuck <laughs> to old dogma yeah, absolutely. Right? the next one right yeah exactly yeah. so I, I, I think it's a wonderful uh, way that you've broken it down to these uh, few elements that yeah. we can so called architect our own kind of learning and let me just double click and delve in a little bit on one of the, the things you mentioned on leadership. Yeah. So uh, as a CEO has gone through uh, 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 you know, different uh, companies in your tenure and uh, having a lead a team, uh, what are your big leadership lessons that, that you can share working in the technology sector or even just you know, 
dealing with people in general. Yeah, maybe I, I'm not big enough uh, like a guru in leadership. There's plenty of people who does that. But to me, it's very simple. I think today, uh, one has to be authentic. That's clearly a very important point. You need to be real to yourself and to your people. And I think transparency and authenticity kind of go hand in hand to a large extent. People see through it very quickly. I think you can pretty much read someone's body language that the person is not genuine, right? Uh, so with it comes something called followability. I think someone wants to follow you because you're a true leader. They want to go down to the trenches and fight with you side by side. Uh, you know, Sometimes they will protect you because you see you're a general. They do have to protect you to some extent, but sometimes they expect you to be down there with them in the trenches. right? So uh, authentic leadership comes from someone who wants to follow you or fo- followability, I think that's the word. Uh, I see leaders who... You know, if they move to another organization, no one else wants to follow the person, right? It's like, oh, that leader, I never go and uh, follow that. You know, there's no, there's no attraction to, you know. Uh, my sense is uh, there's a need to create a vision that people want to go, where people will follow you. Uh, and I think in the past, it was kind of like putting fire in the butt. I think tomorrow, it's about putting fire in the heart, right? You want someone to be burned up with this passion to say, okay, I see your vision. I see where you're trying to go. And I think I have a future in that. Let's go, right? So, yeah. so what's what's your vision and what's your message? And uh, for you guys out there, you can also find we take on uh, YouTube. Uh, the, <laughs> That's what's, my, what's the channel name? Uh, just we take. Uh, yes, we take. Yeah, right. Yeah, so today it's just art, but uh, yeah. Hopefully, I put more management stuff in. The yeah, there will right be. There will. I will update you guys when, when as and when we get uh, more of we take on the management front and this art front is really interesting as well. So do yeah. go take a look. So, but but maybe share with us what's your vision that you are seeing now and what are you trying to push? I I think uh, quite aligned to what my chairman and I you know discuss and we have lunch uh, regularly. We talk about it. I think that. It's it's time for Singapore company to become world-class leading in a way that creates uh, a presence in the world. We do have companies like that today already, but I think in the information technology world and the IT world, uh, it's still somewhat lacking, I would say. We don't still don't have the sort of company that are you know, going global. Uh, if you see some of the Israelis company, they've done really, really well. They've gone global and you follow some of the you know, cybersecurity and so on, they've done really, really well. We still don't have a lot of that. We have a lot of startup in Singapore we kind of fizzle out at some stage where we could not, could not really get it beyond. Um, uh, a call it a death value, right? Yeah. After Series A or something yeah, like that. It's like, <laughs> boom, it just come down. It gets eaten up by other companies. And why can't we gobble up other companies and we become the global behemoths that we should? And I think Singapore is well poised for that. We have all the talent. We have all the tech talent. We have the uh, government support in terms of all the ground that you can think of and you have all these large company that actually uh, you know could actually support you in the growth alongside their own growth right I mean Singapore has so many global companies best uh, the banks the sector the engineering sector like Subana Jurong and uh, you know even uh, real estate like Capital Land we have all these great big companies in Singapore IT we need that now I think that's where I'm thinking that probably that's where uh, I want to go. <laughs> so that's really the direction and the vision. And I think if you can create jobs for uh, local Singaporean or even create a sort of a, a place for regional skills to come and work for us, uh, building this Singapore Inc. Fantastic. That's the vision. So what's missing in this, the missing pieces that will build this Singapore Inc. 2020 and beyond, like yeah. 2021, the, the, next, the next big, um, what, Singapore in 2.0 or is yeah. it 3.0 I can't, right, right, right. I can't remember uh, yeah the next generation, the next iteration the next basically iteration. yeah I think the key really is to have a, 
uh, working parts all coming together. We do have great education, we have great tertiary institutes, uh, we have great organisations that are going global. Now, for the IT part, we need to assemble this into a working whole. Right? They are all disparate today. They are all individual working well on its own. Uh, but, uh, you know, our graduates comes out and they work for the big company like Google and Facebook, right? But what about the Singapore uh, high-tech tech companies, right? Uh, where are they? Where, why should it be just the Google and the Facebook that our youngsters want to work? But all these other Singapore Inc. could be the landing spot where they can build career. So I think the answer is lies in, can we provide a great career? Can we give uh, the locals, uh, kids when they come in from junior rank, give them a world-class career at the end, right? At the end of the funnel, right? So all this is the whole, it's not just technology building great technology, but it's actually building a great company, and with a Singapore core that actually takes us out into the world and conquer it, which I think we are more than capable of doing. Uh, so that's the vision, right? So I, I'm excited about it, and I think my people are relatively excited about it. But uh, the, the uh, operationalizing of it, of course, it's hard work. It's going to be you know, a massive building of the organization, lots of uh, sweat and tears, and there'll be f- some failures along the way. We'll all learn through it, and you know, my team is actually quite excited about it. Doing this, so I've assembled quite a nice team, and I think uh, people who have joined us understand what where we're going is uh, quite quite excited about it. Uh, it's not an easy journey by all means, but I think we're up against the challenge, and we have good backing. So let's see. Yeah, yeah. I, I am definitely more confident on the next iteration of Singapore in hearing it from you yeah, that I, we are moving in that direction. Yeah. We, so, we are definitely moving in that direction, and I'm confident the support and backing is there. Uh, so now we just need to find the missing jigsaw and. Like I said, the jigsaw are in different places. Put it together, assemble it, and I think people can see that it's time. What would you uh, advise or would you say to the young 20 some? Because I noticed you were saying that this is also about the talented young yeah. Singaporeans that come up, right? Yeah. Wanting to choose uh, to contribute and build their skill sets and career in this uh, sector and industry. Yeah. Um, this not so much on, on, on a specific question, but more on like a general uh, uh, advice for people looking to develop themselves in this space. You know, let's say they just came out of uh, university or still yeah. in their university looking at a second hustle, you know. Yeah. What would you say to them? I think especially for those who are just coming out to work uh, right off the tertiary education, uh, my advice is optimize the ability to learn new skills, um, including soft skills. So if you're in tech, then make sure you're balanced with soft skills, with some of the other creative skills that you will need. If you are in uh, you know, the soft management side of things, or you might want to consider understanding a bit more tech and so on, right? Uh, but ultimately, if you look at a career curve, uh, I see most of my peers, you know, from 30 years ago when we graduated, some of them go straight line and then after that they taper off because uh, they optimized pay when it first came out, right? So for 30% more, they go into sales or general management. Not that anything wrong with that. There's also a lot of learning there as well. But if you want to go long and far in, let's say, a technology field or a technical field, um, you do need to make sure that your underpining uh, of the skills is real. And so now as I sit as a CEO, I'm, I have my five years of programming and you know, and when an application salesperson come and talk to me, I actually understand a lot more than the person. They can't smoke you. <laughs> well, they can't really smoke me and uh, I, I will also be able to make judgment call on technology more effectively and accurately, I suppose. Uh, that's the, the insight that I have. 
so in the same way, if you want to be a, a leader in the future, you got to make sure you are all-rounded, but optimize skills learning, not just optimize pay. Uh, for less pay, go for the opportunity that you can learn way more because that carries you into 10, 15, 20 years, and you will find that your career is still going up Right? And your pay will correspondingly go up in that sense. So optimize that. So that's the advice for people who are coming out. I suppose that's the key to optimizing career in the long run. I know it's hard because as you come out and you may have financial obligations, so you always optimize the 20% difference and you say, oh, but that is paying. Uh, that's one. Two, actually, there's one more interesting thought. You might want to join all these big brands in Singapore. right? Uh, nothing against Google or Facebook or things like that. But uh, I'm not sure you'll be able to go into the heart of the engineering for Google and Facebook here in Singapore. Some teams may be, so I'm not saying no. But if the role is more general, like managing of uh, partnering or sales, I would say think twice, even though if they pay more, because uh, the first few years of a career is your only opportunity to get your teeth into you know real tech, real hardcore stuff, right? Uh, and you, even though you may not be paid more, but those experience eventually when you become sales or general management will carry you so much more further down the road than say if you have just kept on doing sales and then go to the next sales and you know eventually you taper off at a certain level, which is uh, yeah not many will make it into the big sales uh, so to speak. Yeah. So um, what about for the the people who are looking to build the next giants to mm. build the next uh, iteration of these global companies in Singapore yeah. what are the areas that you think should one be looking at and and what do you think they aren't doing enough yeah so my thoughts around uh, startup or companies that are trying to create product or services is this idea that it's not about building the technology itself but building an organization that can take iterative approach to developing the next cycle. I mean, we come back to talking about Apple in the first generation, right? It wasn't very good. But Apple know they have an organization that will take iteration to the max. So for a startup uh, or a CEO or a young small company, you want to think about, hmm, how am I creating my organization so that the feedback loop is working? My first product may bomb, may not do so well, or maybe it's doing okay, but it doesn't. But the second product... How are we taking the f- customer feedback and what is the actionable item or action, you know, service product changes that will create the next iteration to be so much better than the first, right? If you keep doing this, you have a chance to play at a global level because then you are about competing the same stage as Tencent, Alibaba, Apple, you know, and so on and so forth, right? That is the difference between focusing on the tech versus focusing on the organization that creates repeatability, Right, that's the difference. I think Singapore, we're still having small shops that look at just oh, I have this you know first version, and after that, mm, kind of fizzles off because you see first version and then you have a small tweak after that. But you look at Apple, is they are not small tweak. First, second, third, fourth, you will see massive improvement. And how do they know how to make those improvement? Data. How do they know customer experience? How do they know it's all this organization setup that allows them to do it? This is the difference between global and small company. I think. And I think this this point that you made, you know, I was just thinking is so relevant from an individual perspective to a company perspective. Yeah. It's the guy that can iterate, that yeah. can fly the tighter Oda loop yeah. that wins in the end because yeah, sure. this guy is just going to go at it again and again. And the only way to actually learn how to do something 
is to go and do something. It's by doing it. It's by doing it. There's <laughs> yes. no shortcuts to this. There is no whatever. The next great company in the world starts from one man and an idea Absolutely. going around doing it and iterating the heck out of it. Actually, your point is valid, right? In the sense that if I give you a book on painting and you read front to back, back to front, you know, middle to the side and whatever, and you understand every single word, you memorize every page, then I give you a, a paint brush, some paint and yeah. a paper. I say, paint me something. Well, you read the painting book. Can yeah. you paint? Hmm. I'm not sure, right? Yeah. That's two different uh, things altogether. Uh, so my mental knowledge and the muscle knowledge is two different things. So don't just sit and read a book front to back. You actually have to read a bit, try it, come back and read a bit more, try it. Uh, I think this problem is called the understanding of the meaning of the word, right? So when my daughter was young, uh, I used to try to make her understand the word. So for example, the word hungry. You know, when kids doesn't want to eat, you just try to feed them, force feed them, and so on. But maybe you should teach them the word hungry. Leave them alone. At the end of the night, before they go to sleep, say, Papa, I'm hungry, or Mama, I'm hungry. Ah, now you know the word hungry. We told you, you'll be hungry if you don't eat. Today, no food. You'll be hungry for the rest of the night. Sorry, here's water. You drink it, go sleep. Tomorrow, dinner come along. You say, Doctor, um, you better eat. You'll be hungry. The word hungry has a different meaning because the first time she didn't understand the word hungry. Now she understands the word hungry. So what I'm trying to say is that we can read the word blockchain, AI, all these cool technology words. Do you understand it? How do you understand it? Because you read it on LinkedIn or some books or whatever. Okay, uh, alright. You're just like my daughter who still don't understand it. I will let you understand it. Well, you don't really understand it is try and fail or try and succeed, right? So when you fully understand what blockchain or AI truly meant, it is revolutionizing your business. But if it doesn't, maybe it's not because you didn't use it right. It's because you didn't understand the word AI. That, that could be the answer. I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know, right? But that, to me, sounds like a very plausible hypothesis to explain why everybody has the hype but nobody is succeeding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said the, the hype is there. And that's what I, I, I kind of shared with you earlier in our conversation, right? And that's what I kind of observe a little bit as well, which is the hype is there. Uh, people talk about it. They throw out these big uh, terms, and they're gonna oh, yeah. you know, they're gonna get their organization to pivot into this and that, yeah. and they're gonna have this to underpin, and then it's like, uh, and then you 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 re- really double click and delve into like what what are they doing? It's like uh, there's a lot of talk, but I don't see anything. <laughs> it's all marketing. <laughs> yeah, I don't see anything actually coming out in no, their I product was, line or their whatever. Oh, we're seeing too many of that. Yeah. unfortunately, I, I I personally think that's a problem. Actually, that's an issue, but it's a long story. So <laughs> yeah. it's a for another. Day. <laughs> so so let's uh, kind of like uh, uh, pull back on a much uh, higher level and maybe a more philosophical kind of uh, outlook on all this. I think we think you you've had uh, thank you for sharing uh, so many valuable lessons and uh, I'm not sure if you guys are getting this, but there are actually a lot of very deep wisdom into some of the things he's saying. This is something definitely I'll I'll go back and uh, re-listen again myself as well. Um, what will you say? is something that you would tell yourself or advise yourself uh, 20, 25 years ago, you know, yeah, now with the, the, the volume of, of experience and, and uh, all these wonderful stories you have, what would be a, a kind of an advice we would give to yourself? Actually, it used to be based on my 5M, right? So mm-hmm. I would say invest in myself in the materials that I need uh, to further my own because I think at the end of the day, it's about living a life worth living, right? That's what it is. It's, it's about looking at your life and you say, yeah, 
okay, I'm happy with this life that I live. And I, I, you know, a lot of the regrets are about omission. You didn't do something, right? So, you know, looking at the material world, did I organize it in such a way that it, it benefits me, my family, my and the society at large? Uh, the membership, did I have my right membership to encourage me and, and for me to encourage them uh, in a way that we can both encourage each other to continue a, a life of growth? Right. Did I develop the mind to my best ability so that I'm like always constantly being the best of who I am in, and not just take but also give, right? So that's why I start by saying I actually think of myself as a teacher because I love, just love to teach. And to me, if I can die in my tombstone, I say he was a good teacher. That's good enough for me, right? Uh, you know, it's a life worth living because I impart some of my knowledge and I think people benefit and that, that's amazing, right? Uh, motivation, what drives me is so that if the world becomes a better place because of me, mm, good enough. I don't have to be miles good, just better in a way. I think that's good enough. And finally, of course, muscle that I have actually had the discipline to do what I say I'll do and I'm actually doing it, not just and be authentic around it. So I think this really is just what drives me on a daily basis. I think just be a better person. I'm not measuring myself to anybody else, but I'm measuring me to my yesterday. Did I improve we take today than say 25th of uh, February to 24th of February? Did I increase it somewhat that I learn a bit more BJJ skills? Did I, did I improve my knowledge in some way? Do I share my wisdom in some way or do I touch someone's life in some way? That, I think, is a life worth living. Just incremental micro step every day. And that's, that's a wonderful way to end off this conversation. Thank you so much for, oh, you. for sharing your time with us down here. There thank are you. really so much uh, gems in there. And I, 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 I hope to have you back someday sure. where we can <laughs> then delve into a little bit more uh, technical bits or yeah. certain lessons that you have because I know you write on LinkedIn. You have your YouTube channel. Uh, the next one's coming up soon. Where can people find you online if they want to and then uh, follow your work? Well, plenty of place. LinkedIn, you can follow me uh, on the Instagram, which is an easy yeah, one. So uh, Instagram, what's your handle? Also, we take, just look for me, W-H-E-E-T-C-K. We yeah. take, and, and it's once again spelled W H E E. T E C K. Yes, perfect. And YouTube, same thing. We take. Uh, generally, if you we Google we take Ong, you will find me on all my uh, channels. So LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, Instagram, uh, well, Facebook is more personal. So, but those are the, yeah. The, yeah. Cool. So once again, definitely someone worth uh, listening to and learning from. Thank you for sharing your experience with us. I hope you guys have learned something from it. I definitely have. Yeah. So that's me, Yong Sheng, and signing out with WeTech. Thank you very much. Thank you. And Thank you. see you on the next one.